Hello and welcome to the 32nd British Football Coaches Network. I'm Matt Ward and James McLoon is here with me today. James, hello my man. Get that swimming pool ready because there's a vaccine ready and everyone's going to be cured and I can fly across, mate. How you been? <laughs> that's the short version, isn't it, Matt? That's yeah. fingers crossed. That's what, that's what we're being told. Everyone's going to be cured by Christmas. and Well, not when I've actually been told that. You know, disclaimer, that's not true. But uh, there is, it is positive news and, yeah, it's good to hear and we hope that uh, great strides can continue to be taken. So we're all on the move again. Opportunities are opening up. We can go and, and share in person as, as well as virtually. So, yeah, I'm, I'm doing well, Matt. It's, uh, it's a good day for me to start off. That's good news, mate. And just as you mentioned about opportunities opening up, uh, just a quick little plug. British Football Coaches Network have posted 12 overseas roles so far this month. And we're only halfway through... November. So 12 opportunities to get your ass abroad and experience a different culture and some different challenges overseas. That's massive. Anyway, without further ado, today we're joined by former Ipswich Town Academy coach and current Cayman Islands men's national team manager and director of coaching. It's a huge pleasure to introduce Ben Pugh to the show. Ben, welcome, mate. Thank you for giving up your time to join us. How's everything going? Yeah, hi, hi, Matt and James. Yeah, no, great. Um, really good. We're quite fortunate here that um, that COVID is very, very limited and we haven't had a, um, a, a positive case in quite a while. So football's back to normal. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly a, a good place to be at the moment. Now, before we move on to the more interesting stuff, have you got a swimming pool in your vicinity like James or have you got to go to a public one? <laughs> Uh, no, yeah, we, 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 there's a few swimming pools here, so quite lucky that um, it's, a, it's a beautiful place to live. Lots of swimming pools. The beach is five minutes away, which is an unbelievable beach. So it's, uh, yeah, no, I'm very lucky to, to live where I do. Yeah, they're very fortunate. And you know what? I don't even feel bad about us talking about it because everyone's got the choice to move abroad if you want to. You just got to get yourself into gear and do it. So, Ben... No need to feel bad about that, James, you either. That's amazing. And anyway, let's start off then with how did you get into coaching? What was your first coaching experience and, and where did it all and where did it all come together to lead to where you are now? Yeah, so um, I started coaching when I was, I think I was either 15 or 16, but it was, it was quite early on and um, from a, a small village that had a, a small village uh, or small number of village football teams. Um, my brother was, um, I think it was under seven at the time, so just volunteered to help out and, and it kind of grew from there. I was, I was always a, an okay player, but I was probably never more than an okay player. And kind of as, as time went on, I knew I was never going to be a professional footballer and decided that, you know, of course, I wanted to be involved at the top end of the game. And I felt that coaching would potentially give me that. So, um, yeah, started coaching at, um, at a club called Shotley Rangers. Um, as I said, under sevens, and stayed with them for maybe five, six seasons before um, I was very, I was lucky enough to get the opportunity to coach the pre academy at, at Ipswich, a voluntary role, um, as well as I did a sports science degree. So I did some uh, sports science internship stuff, um, kind of with the foundation phase with the nines, tens, and elevens, and and then it grew and, and did my qualifications, and and ended up being at Ipswich for eight years before I um, I moved here. That, that's a, straight away there is a, a telltale sign for some people who are asking how to give their pathway a, a kickstart, how to 
even get into coaching. So you you took a, a voluntary role. And before we go deeper into that, would you be where you are now if you hadn't been a volunteer at a football club? Yeah, no, absolutely not. I think that I've always been a big advocate that you have to outwork everybody else. And I think that whilst you don't have that level of experience or qualifications, or even sometimes when you do, you have to be shown to um, be putting the hours in. So, yeah, I started voluntary and doing this, this sport. I never wanted to be a sports scientist, but I knew by doing a degree, it would give me that little bit more information and an understanding that I could use in my coaching. So, yeah, I started voluntary at grassroots level. And, and as I said, was lucky enough to have the opportunity to work with the under the pre-academy, the sevens and eights, voluntary, purely voluntary. And then what would happen is uh, because they knew I was committed, any time an academy coach for the foundation phase couldn't make a session or a game, I'd always, I'd always be available. So even if I had plans, I would move those plans or cancel those plans because the hope was that in the long run, it would pay off. So um, I just made myself as available as possible and um, tried to be in the environment as much as possible. And, and off the back of that, it's, it's led me to really good things. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a massive, um, you know, I think it's massive that you, you volunteer and that you, you give your time and you show people what you can do. Otherwise, I think potentially your, your opportunities are limited. What were some of the biggest takeaways you got from your experiences working uh, within Ipswich Town? Yeah, um, it was a really good experience. I think it's a very good family-based club. So certainly when I went from being part-time to full-time with the foundation phase and the youth development phase, because you're around all the coaches all the time and, and not just academy coaches, but also you know, the first team coaches. So at the time, Mick McCarthy was the was the manager and Terry Connor was the assistant. And not only were they great coaches, they were great people. And I've always been a great believer in, in um, having very strong values and treating everybody, you know, fairly and equally. And and that was kind of, I could see that very much so with, with um, Mick McCarthy and, and TC. I thought they were, they were excellent. They, they would greet everybody, whether you were a player, whether you were, um, whether you worked in the education department, whether you worked in the kitchen, no matter who you were, they treated everybody, you know, with, with the utmost respect. And, and I took that a, a long way into my coaching of going, okay, well, um, sorry, and along with that, the players, every player, every staff member loved him. So regardless of, of what uh, people thought on the outside, everybody at the club absolutely loved both of them because they were good people. And, and, and he had he built really strong relationships with everybody. So for me, that was the biggest thing that I took away from the whole experience is how can I build really strong relationships with people to then get the best out of them? Um, that along with the coaching stuff, obviously coaching every day and, and being on the grass, I think is, is you know, it's the most important thing for, for your coaching, of course. Um, and, you know, it was a really good experience working with some, some really good players that represented England at a number of youth levels and have moved on to Man City and Chelsea and Arsenal. So um, the experience was, was yeah, was, was, uh, was great. And I'd be, a, a, again, I would suggest if anybody's interested, go and try and spend time watching and, and, and being involved in as much academy stuff as you can, because I think you'll get some really good learning in that. that that's really eye-opening for me because I, I am curious to know how many professional club setups have academy coaches 
and with the greatest respect to the different levels of uh, age groups, but have the lower lower age group coaches that actually talk about the first team manager and their assistant, who's kind of integrating everyone together. And it, it, I, I just would like to know, like, how many other clubs do this? Because, you know, if I was a part-time coach, let's say, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, it, it could be West Ham United. You know, I, I'm wondering if I would have the same feeling with uh, David Moyes, or I don't know if I've yeah. <laughs> sacked David Moyes yet, but, you know, whoever else is a manager. And, and for you to mention that, you know, you, you can start to envision the kind of family feel and the people person that, that the, the coaches were. And uh, I, I think that's massive. And uh, just like you mentioned, Ben, huge to bring either a club, a community or a group of people together. Massive point there. One, you mentioned early on that you made yourself available, you're adaptable, you're agile, you, you know, think out, outworking and everybody else around is, is really important. And I, I totally agree with you. Was it at that point that you were taking on those first coaching sessions, like trying to get it, trying to get a foot in the door and then a leg in the door and then the whole body inside? Were there other people around that were, that were there that you were like, right, that fella there or, or that girl, or that lady there or that, or that person there? I know that they're not maybe doing the right things. I might be able to, to, to get past them. And obviously, we say, you know, we don't want to be in the rat race, whatever. but it is. It's a race. You've got to be better than the next person. And did you see coaches with maybe more experience in the game or maybe that you would say, oh, this guy might know, maybe should think that he should do better than me. Did you see people fall away because they didn't want to put that kind of effort, that hard work in? They didn't want to be available. They were more interested in, in other things. Did that happen? Yeah, I think you get that everywhere, any job, don't you? You get people that are um, really committed and dedicated to the cause and you always get people that are kind of just happy to be where they're at. So I never saw it as necessarily being in competition with others, but I just, even, you know, I just wanted to be um, around it as much as possible. I'd, I wanted to have a career in coaching. I wanted to be full-time, even when I was voluntary. And, and I just felt that, you know, I don't think you should just be uh, rewarded for just turning up all the time. So it wasn't just a case of me going, okay, well, I'll be available. And because I'm available, that means that I'll progress because I knew that I could be available and be terrible at coaching or a terrible person or whatever, and it wouldn't happen. So I think it goes hand in hand. So I made sure I was available, but I also made sure I was talking to people and I was uh, listening and I was observing and really fortunate that again Ipswich has a or certainly at the time I was there had a number of ex-pros working within the the football system as well and and not only that some some other coaches who are um who have now moved on and are working at a very high level so um people like Kieran Dyer was working people like James Scowcroft Titus Bramble um and then and then other coaches like Chris Hogg who's the U23s coach at Newcastle now and um Liam Manning who's working for SK Lommel in uh, Belgium he's their head coach so trying to just be around as many people as I could and taking things off them and like I said I never saw myself in competition with them but I tried to get as much from them as I, as I could do and like for example I, Titus is a really good friend of mine and what I learned from him in terms of his tactical information in terms of um, just being around the top level and dealing with failure and you know what it looks like being a, you know playing in the Champions League and Premier League and those experiences I never had as a player. And so I, I felt I had to, um, you know, ask lots of questions. And, and and at the same time, he would say, you know, 
applying what he could do to the younger players and, and it's something I could help him, him with. So I think not only was I trying to take from people, I was also trying to give my experiences. And, and, and as I said, I think that goes hand in hand. And yes, be the hardest worker in the room, but also you've got to be really good if you're going to push on and, and, and have a career in the game in terms of your coaching. So utilises, you know, everybody and, and everything. Yeah, great answer, Ben. It's just the reason I, I bring it up is there'll be, there'll be people listening to the pod thinking, right, I've got to go and do this voluntary role or, or I'll find a way in the door that I'm getting some coaching hours with a club, which is good. But what they don't realise is they'll think, well, I'm doing it for free, so I, I, I don't have to do it well. I'll just do it because I'm doing it for free. I'm showing up. I think it's very important to understand that when you get an opportunity, you're not judged on the fact that you're willing to show up you're judged on the fact that once you're in that job, be it paid or voluntary or whatever it is, you've got to do a really good job. You, it's not enough just to show up. You've, and it's not enough just to be on time. You've got to be, this is, for, for some people, to forget, it's a professional career. Never, never mind you're coaching six-year-olds or you're coaching national team. So everybody listening, if you want to be a coach, don't think it's just, ah, oh, I like playing football. I've come out of school. I've finished it. You've got to be professional. You've got to put the hours in. You've got to put the effort in. You've got to put the quality in. And quality is so important. You've got to add quality and you've got to add value to what to the environment you're in or you won't be in there very long. So that's just a really important aspect to add in. Yeah, 100% agree. 100%. And I, I, I also like the, uh, the sharing of information, as Ben mentioned, between kind of former professional player, a very good standard just for example, uh, uh, Titus Bramble and, and someone who hasn't played at a professional level as well. And I think that's great. That, that's a right way to go about it, where we can actually take from former professional players, but also they can learn from others who are maybe coached at, at um, lower levels or lower age groups as well. So I, I, I love that. Ben, move, moving on now uh, to the part I'm really excited about, because I love anything about working abroad. Uh, the Caymans, was it difficult when the opportunity came to, to move there? Was it difficult to leave Ipswich after, you know, all the years spent there, all the experiences gained, all the friendships made and, and connections? How was it when you had to leave? And, you know, how was your first steps into the Caymans? What, what was the first thing that really hit you? Yeah, so, uh, of course, it was um, it was difficult in the sense that, though, you know, in any job, eight years is a long time, but it wasn't just eight years of a normal job. As we know, with football, you, you, uh, it's not nine to five. You're there all the time. You're talking football. You're, uh, you're in having breakfast with coaches. You, you know, it's a, it's a job where you fully submerge yourself into the environment. And so, yeah, it was, it was of course difficult to leave. And I was leading the youth development phase at the time. Um, you know, built some really good relationships with people. But I just felt that I wanted something different. I, I'd always lived in Ipswich. Um, and I just wanted a life experience. I felt that, you know, I saw a, a, a job that, that came up to where it was actually to work with a, effectively a grassroots club here, but to kind of oversee the whole project. So to work with all the teams and build a curriculum and, uh, and try to kind of make football better on the island. It's, it's a very small island of, well, there's three islands, but the living Grand Cayman, which is the biggest island, which is around 60,000 people. Um, and yes, yeah, so I saw the job and, and through a connection at Ipswich and I thought, you know, even if it's a bad experience, it's something I've tried. I've tried to go and be inside, you know, uh, see a different culture and, 
different football environment and it ended up working out obviously very well. So I was here for, uh, I've been here now two, just over two years. Um, I had a year with um, Academy Sports Club, which were the grassroots clubs I, I moved across with. Um, but kind of only after two or three months of being here, I started again volunteering with the national team. So I helped write the, the clubs for their country's philosophy and vision and um, and their sets of values, and um, as well as coaching with the men's senior team. So assisting the technical director at the time. So uh, a really good experience for me, and I helped in the um, Nations League qualifier in in March against Montserrat, um, and then after that I. I I took the job on um, as head coach of, of the national team and as well the U23s team that had Olympic qualifiers in, uh, in the July. Um, and then a few months later, I became full-time actually at the association. So uh, also looking after not only the national team, but also looking after player development and also coach development as well. So I do a lot of the, the coach education stuff. So we've just put on three uh, CONCACAF D licenses back to back. So it's a really good football place and a really good environment and, um, yes, we, we had a when uh, COVID was bad, we had two or three months in um, in lockdown. But we're we're lucky that we haven't had any cases in um, or any any cases in the the community in nearly three three or four months now. So football's back to normal, and, and yeah, football's thriving here. So it was um, again, like I said, it was even coming here was about doing voluntary work. But off the back of that, uh, I'm full time at the association and coaching a national team. So. Uh, I think that's, uh, again, echoes what we said at the beginning about being the hardest worker and wanting to, to give your time up. Absolutely. And, and ladies and gents, that's exactly what we're talking about here. It's, it's how you go about things. Because I'm sure, look, you can go to a, a country or, you know, a, a lesser known region and you can go there and be quite unique as a, a foreign coach. But if you go there with the wrong intentions and... For example, Ben, on the opposite side of things, you could have gone in there and tried to take over and say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm from England. I, I was at Ipswich. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be where you are now. But I, I'm, I'm sure that you went. And like you said, you, you offered your services. You tried to support what was already going on. And all you do, you get a chance. You, they see the good work you're doing. And you're, not trying to, you, you know, you, you're not trying to impress people to then take a job from someone else or anything like this. But... You're just doing your normal role, the normal work that you can actually give them, and you, you're going to get picked up. It's going to get noticed. And this is what we should all be working to, and this is why it's so important not only to be a, an all right coach, a half-decent coach, but you've got to be a good person as well. And it, it's got Absolutely. to be genuine, because otherwise you, you're not going to get these opportunities. And for you to go out there, you start with uh, uh, the, the grassroots club, and then to slowly progress to where you are now, it, it's... Uh, it's massive fair play to yourself uh, and for, for me it's, it's totally what you deserve and what what I want to know now is how it's been since you, you you've kind of taken over I mean you, you gave a quick overview on the uh, the different roles and uh, the different roles you're you're playing now within the association uh, let's go with the first team how's the first team been yeah really good so um, as I said I kind of I worked with them from kind of November, December time in the build-up to the game against Montserrat. And I took over kind of head coach. Um, yeah, it was kind of the beginning of April. So I've been there, what, about a year and a half. And um, we've done really well. It's a really good group of players. So 
we um, the first games I had um, for the for the senior team were um, Nations League qualifiers. So we had U.S. Virgin Islands, Saint Martin, and Barbados, um, where we played both home and away. Um, and the Cayman Islands, we, we hadn't actually won a game for nearly nine years. Um, so we were, we were the underdogs, and people didn't expect a lot. And um, we we played USVI in the first game, and uh, we had a few issues with travel, so we arrived just before the game kicked off. We had to get kick off delayed an hour. Um, but fortunately, it's a really good, young, hungry group of players. And um, we did really well. We won the game 2-0 and uh, first win in, in nine years. And then three days later, we played Barbados at home, who were, uh, I think they're about 50, 50 odd places above us in the FIFA World Rankings. Um, you know, a whole host of professional players and, and a really good side. And um, in the game here, we were tactically very good and we ended up beating them 3-2. So off the back of not having a, a win in, in nine years, we'd won two back-to-back. And we did really well over the, over the next four games. We we won two and we we lost two. We lost we lost away to Barbados in the last game. They were very, very good. We lost 3-0. Um, and we narrowly missed out on goal difference for qualifying for um, for the next group and, and going into qualifying for the Gold Cup. So we overachieved, but I think it's given the the country and the players a real um, sense of, of hunger and purpose. And, you know, we're now preparing effectively for, for the next uh, Nations League, um, which, as I said, if we win our group, we'll go into Gold Cup qualifying, which will be very, very tough. But I think it's a realistic um, goal that we've set. We've, um, we've got World Cup qualifiers that we're supposed to play in March, where we play our first two games of Suriname away and then Canada at home. Um, so the likes of players, obviously Canada have got, we're, uh, you know, I think it's a country of about 38 million people and we're a small set of islands with an, an average population of 64,000. So it's a great experience. And um, as I said, that, that's part of our, uh, our development plan going into these Nation League games. So it's been, it's been brilliant. It's been uh, really eye-opening and um, coaching. Like I said, it's a very young group. So it's still a lot of my youth development stuff that I, that I you know, that, I did growing up at Ipswich and um, working with young players. I still see myself as a as a developer of uh, players and people here. It's uh, like I said before, I'm, I'm massive on developing people as well. I don't think it's just football. Um, and yeah, we're we're in a good place, and and hopefully we'll continue to build and maybe su- surprise a few people in the in the future. Absolutely sensational! What a story! Like, I've got so many questions. But like, I just want to first of all say this is look. I'm I'm gonna say I'm jealous. I want to. <laughs> I'm jealous. This is what what a great thing to do, and what great success and yeah, so far success and the the goals that you're setting and the opportunities that you're gonna have. You know, I first of all wish you all the luck in the world and best wishes for that. And keep as you say, you got sixty thousand people going up against thirty eight million. It's definitely a David and Goliath. But if you do the right things, you know. Why not? Why not? Why, why can't it happen? Uh, for, like, just a couple of questions about Cayman Islands infrastructure for football. So everybody will be thinking, like, they'll be listening to this, they'll get their globe out, and they'll do a bit of Cayman Islands, but like, that looks lovely, that does. Tell us, what is the infrastructure like? Is there pitches? Um, how's the talent? Is there, you know, equipment? The yeah. local interaction? Just give us a little bit of an overview of Cayman Islands football. Yeah, so so we're quite lucky. So it's it's three islands. We have um, Grand Cayman, which is the main, the bigger island, and then we've got um, 
Cayman Brack, which is much smaller, and then Little Cayman, which is even smaller than that. So there's one field in Cayman Brack, and um, there is, I think, three grass fields and three turf fields on, on Grand Cayman. So we're, we're about seven fields of a, of a reasonable standard. Sorry, eight fields. There's another grass field as well. Eight fields, um, as well as schools tend to have smaller pitches as well. So in terms of that, we're, we're quite lucky. The good or the bad side is they're used for not just football, but um, flag football, frisbee, hockey. So trying to, to always use those fields is not always possible. But um, the, the structure of the league is very good here. So we have we don't have enough players to run leagues at every age group, but we run under 8s, 10s, 12s, 14s, 16s, 18s, and then senior men and women. Well, at the moment we have um, in the men's, we have two men's divisions. We have 10 teams in the top division and 11 in the first division. So 21 teams overall. And then we have five at the moment in the women's women's league. We had three last year and we've built to five uh, with potentially one or two new ones next year. So um, football, it's, it's a good football place. The people, it's the main sport. People love football here. Um, and, and, you know, going back to what we said about the national team, though, we, though our selection pool is very small, most of our players are island-based. So, we're lucky enough that we can coach as a, we can train sorry as a national team two or three times a week. Um, I get to see all their club games, so club games are played on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which is um, which is great for me. I, I get you know I help organise the league, so I can I can uh, put those games in, which works suits me. You know, seeing them um, <laughs> and yeah, which is which is obviously beneficial. And um, and as I said, we've, we've got maybe ten or so players that are overseas that. Um, we have a look at when they're back and we, we keep tabs on them, how they're doing. We've got um, a lad in Romania. We've got a few in England. We've got a few in the US at school. So um, trying to make it, you know, take advantage of those those um, minimal gains, as they call them, right? So we can train all the time. We can work on physical stuff, tactical stuff. And, and I think that's another reason as to why we were quite successful in the, in the last process. So um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's... The infrastructure is good here. The, you know, the, the football association is building and getting better. As I said, we're we're trying to get more coaches. So we, we've got about sixty new coaches, Concacaf D license qualified coaches, and we're hoping to do a C license late this year or early next year. Um, so yeah, we're in a in a in a, in a, a good place, and um, hopefully it can. You know, it's been a very quick, rapid growth over the last couple of years, but hopefully we can maintain that and and continue to to make football better here. Fantastic. And then based on that rapid growth, I guess that what you said was going on at Ipswich in terms of like top-down philosophy, you, yourself and the rest of the federation president at the top is able to um, drip down the information from the, from the national team into the league teams, into the, in the youth structure. It's kind of what a fantastic opportunity to be able to do that. Is that kind of like the philosophy? Is there like, a, like an, an association philosophy on how things want to develop? And, and stuff like that yeah definitely so um as i said we're we're in the process we're, we're quite far in the process of developing our vision and our, our short medium and long-term plan for the association we've had a lot of meetings with CONCACAF and fifa which is great for me to be involved in and we even did a i had to do a presentation actually for gianni infantano as well the fifa president he came here uh, last year and presented the same thing on, on our on our mission and vision so um, yeah, trying to implement that into clubs and there's some really good people here and some really good, you know, the clubs have 
very different infrastructure. So there's two or three clubs that have great resources. They have qualified coaches that come in and, and run a really solid program. And then you've got some programs that are run purely through volunteers, you know, mums and dads that, that try and help and, you know, strong in some areas, but need help in others. So it's for, from our point of view, it's just about recognizing which club needs what type of help. Um, and then how we can, we can, you know, give everybody a more even playing field and, um, you know, really build, um, football in their area what we don't want of course is those players going to those top two or three clubs because they're very well organized and and those other clubs will always struggle for uh, for years and years on so um yeah we, we we try and um as i said have a positive effect the structure of the league has been much better the youth and senior league so it's allowed for that uh, consistency and that uh, development of players and 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 as i said before that the fact that we've done these coaching courses will will hopefully of course, improve football across um, across the clubs, and you know it, it's a small island, so we have to have those connections. It's not like it's England national team where you see the players very rarely, and you know they're in um, great environments in terms of club football. We have to we have to look after our clubs because they you know they they're um, working with our players daily, and we're lucky as a national team, so even the 15s and 17s train twice a week with actually with the national team. Um, but it's about working with clubs, training different days, sometimes going to clubs, delivering sessions, or, or as I said, providing the, the support that they need. So um, no, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly becoming more, con- more consistent and we're certainly having um, far more buy-in from coaches and players and, and just people across the islands. What, what an experience and what a place to be. Like maybe five, ten years' time, you'll, you'll be walking, if you do leave the Cayman Islands, you'll be walking away a legend, a football legend. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Yeah, great, well, great insights. Well, well, yeah, I, I just want to go, go back to that and go back to the, uh, uh, the competitive side of things. Now, I'm, I'm not sure if, if everyone who's listening actually understand how difficult it is to go into a, a lower-ranked nation who hasn't won a match in nine years and then win the first two matches, one of them being Barbados. Barbados are a strong national team. And I'm not sure people respect what's been done here. It's massive. Now, when you're a, you're a national team manager, I've never been a national team manager, but as a national team manager, you have the opportunity to play with countries, other national teams. You beat them, you win a few games, that country starts looking at you or following you. Ben, have you, have you had any, obviously you're, you're still at Caymans, you're very happy, but have you had any kind of other, other sneaky offers or anyone trying to make contact with you or anything like this without saying the names out? Yeah, not, not so much internationally, but club-wise, a couple in the, in the US and back home. But I think... I'm very happy here. The project is very, very good. And um, I think that, as I said, this is this is something that I think we can really achieve good things here. We we also played Cuba in two friendlies as well, where uh, we drew 1-1-0-0 one, one, uh, nil, nil, and we lost 1-1-0. One, one, so, again, making small steps forward. And I think, actually, Caribbean football probably doesn't get the respect it should in terms of the quality of players. I think because some places aren't so well-structured or so well-organised, people don't actually recognise that, that, that those players could play at a higher level. So 
I think that's that's something that um, we certainly did here was just to try and give it a bit more structure, a bit more organization, be tactically stronger and so everybody knew their jobs. And then again, as I said before, developing people. So having people have, you know, become better communicators, have more confidence, you know, better leadership skills. And I think if you implement those really simple things, I think they can have a very big effect. So um, yeah, we, we, we've done very well. We moved, so we, we were at 206 in the world rankings and we've moved up to 193. So, you know, you're not going to move 20 places over overnight. So it's small steps forwards. And as I said, we've got some very tough games coming up, but we're in a, in a position, you know, it's a, it, as I said, it's a building phase. We're not expecting to qualify for, for the next World Cup, but we're building towards this, this Gold Cup, which is, as I said, um, you know, not easy, but certainly not impossible. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of where we're at. So, so coming from, coming from, uh, coming through as a youth coach, and then you go into there, and then you're actually playing in qualifiers for international tournaments. What, what was the biggest difference or what was the biggest adaption you had to make or, or improvements you had to make within yourself? Like, was there a time when you thought, you know, this is serious now, you know, you're analysing your opposite, uh, opposition team and players, you know, maybe they've got some players playing abroad at half-decent clubs and whatnot, and you're thinking, well, wow, this is like real stuff now. Well, was there anything which you had to quickly uh, get up to speed with yourself? Yeah, quite a lot, really. So, um, as I said, though, we're, we're building quite nicely. We're still quite under-resourced in terms of all the analysis I did myself. So I used uh, the platforms I had at Ipswich where I could watch games and I watched you know, all of the USVI, St. Martin and Barbados games and did my own clipping of the games and show players and, and kind of went from working with, though, I, though I'd had some experience working with senior players in England, I went from working with younger players to all of a sudden coaching players that are in and around my age and one or two that were actually older at the time. So, um, you know, going from a, a very, uh, an environment that was purely based on development to uh, going to an environment where, yes, of course, we want to develop, but it's also about winning and performing. And, you know, all of a sudden I've gone from from that to being the leader of the team. So um, I don't know if there was a, a moment as such, but it was certainly in terms of my personal development, it was it was great and I had to um, adapt quickly and, and again, talking to people that have been involved in the game and, and trying to really work on... Um, like I said, what I perceived my weaknesses were and uh, and try to really, you know, not only that, but of course, trying to make my strengths stronger because when you work with 14, 15, 16-year-old players, everything you say they 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 take because they perceive you're, you know, you're a coach and you know everything. If you're working with senior players and you don't know your stuff, you get found out. So I had to make sure everything that I did was um, to the highest possible standard and uh, I'd researched and I was prepared and, you know, nothing was just off the cuff and, um, you know, even training sessions were very well planned and I knew exactly what I wanted out of it. And if I gave players information, you know, there was a, there was a reason for that. And it wasn't just, um, you know, because if they disagreed, I had to, which they didn't to be fair, but if they had have disagreed, I had to know exactly why and what I wanted from, from it tactically or, or technically. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a, a very quick and uh, steep learning curve but it's it's the president's been fantastic with me and put a lot of faith in me and 
and I'm a, also a great believer, um, and I, I saw you said in a previous podcast as well, about not just talking the talk. I think you have to deliver when it comes to it. I think there's lots of people who tell you how good they are and how they've done this, but ultimately when you're in a role or when people are watching, you have to do your job to the highest standard and you have to prove it. And so I was very conscious to make sure that I did that. Uh, being a, a young coach, you know, a, a lot of coach, older coaches on Ireland who um, with, with experience and who thought they were, they should have the national team coach and all of a sudden, uh, coach job and all of a sudden uh, um, someone comes in from a different country, uh, you know, I was 29 at the time and took over the job. So um, it was, you know, I had to prove what I could do and um, and I, I hope that I've done that and I continue to, you know, uh, personal development never stops. I used lockdown um, as a really good um you know, time for me to, to learn on, you know, I picked areas of communication and I started to learn Spanish. We've got quite a few Honduran based players. So I had lessons three times a week during lockdown because I thought, again, talk about developing people. If I can communicate in another language, then you will automatically have that relationship. I reached out to a few contacts I had and I had a, a one-to-one call with Roberto Martinez with a really open and honest and, you know, someone who's, who's coaching obviously the, the top ranked team in the world yeah, he gave his time to me, just showed and emphasized about being a good person because he didn't know who I was or he didn't have any, you know, there was no reason for him to give an hour and a half of his time to, to, to talk to me. And um, I still speak to him now over message. And, um, you know, that, that showed me that personal development never stops. He spoke about individual development plans. So even with his players at Belgium, he's still talking about how he can make them better what their goals are and then linking everything to the goals. So if a player, for example, was to go away from what the team wanted, he always emphasizes, this is what you said you wanted to achieve and this is how we do it. So using that time and using um, the resources I had to continually try and improve me. And, and that's something that I'm, I'm very keen on. I wouldn't say that speaking in front of people was, was you know, my biggest strength, but I've made a conscious effort to speak more and do more podcasts and webinars and you know as much as I can just to develop those skills in myself so again I think if you're going to be a, a coach and you constantly have to um, try and improve yourself and and you know push it we, we talk about stretching our players and pushing them out of their comfort zones we have to do the same thing as well ourselves if we don't we stay at the same place and you know we really don't progress. Um, one thing that was uh, fan- fantastic about what, what you said there is when you're coaching a session, be it senior, youth, or wherever it is at any level, it's been able to be strong enough in your own preparation and your own knowledge to be to be welcome the question from players, why are we doing this? Or I don't agree with you. Because once you're once you've prepared well enough and you, and you know why, then it's okay to engage in a conversation with a player that, okay, I, I'm a coach, I don't agree with this. I can think about what they've said, be able to answer the question, but also be able to think, okay, maybe, maybe they've got a point. I don't, and sometimes they will have a point. They might have something to add to what you're doing and being able to be humble enough and being able to be open enough to say, all right, yeah, we'll, we'll have a think about that. It's, it's really important to be able to, to listen to the players. And I've listened to coaches who, who will just completely discount what a player has said. And that's not the right thing to do because, first of all, the player won't respect you for it and you'll lose, you'll lose the, the interaction with that player. But equally, they might have something that's 
that is adding value. So be open. And as you said, you said earlier in the pod about being open to listening to others. But that also, it's not just other coaches. It's not just that. It's also listening to the players. They might give you a little bit of a golden nugget that you can take on board. So, yeah, great, great thoughts on, on player management as well. Well, it's, it's, it's getting late now for, for, for Ben. So uh, I just want to say, like, if I, if I could have listened to this when I was starting my coaching career as well and, and pathway, it would have inspired me so much. I'm really jealous, really envious, because this is everything I wanted to do. And I'm so happy uh, to, to see it living out, even if, it, if it's through uh, uh, yourself, Ben. But keep up the good work, mate. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be looking out for you and hopefully uh, get a few more decent results and just keep developing the, the nation and, and the people around you. Yeah, no, thanks, guys. Really appreciate you guys having me on. And it's been really good. I think talking football is always great. And I've seen the stuff you guys have done before and, you know, it's great. I think, um, as I said, the stuff I know now, I wish I knew when I was started my journey. And uh, I think what you do for, for, for coaches on that journey is fantastic. So, no, keep up the good work, guys. And I appreciate you having me on.